Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot. Scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. We're going to be talking about the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which is really, really topical. You've probably been getting a whole bunch of notices from uh, the companies that you rely on to run your business. This goes way beyond the, the Beacon system, the Beacon ecosystem. Um, and uh, this week, we, are, we have a return guest, Jano Vanta, who is a partner at Pulsinelli. Uh, and is a real specialist in this area. Uh, we're a little biased because he wrote the chapter on privacy for the Beacon Technologies book that we collaborated on, which is excellent. Um, Jano, welcome back to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great to meet you again, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, so last time we spoke was episode 15. This is actually episode 70. Can you sure. uh, explain why, why is GDPR topical at the moment? Well, um, GDPR is the uh, European Union uh, statute that replaces the current European Union Data Protection Directive, impacts all businesses that either have an entity in Europe or that offer goods and services to European consumers. So that captures a large chunk of, for example, U.S. companies that provide apps or uh, other mobile technology, collect personal data. And when I say personal data, it's really understood broadly in the U.S. Uh, in, when you compare it to the U.S. context. So in the U.S., we typically talk about PII, personal and informal information. That's understood very narrowly to mean things like social security numbers, email addresses, those types of identifiers where you can directly identify who that person is. But GDPR uh, covers all processing of personal data, which is understood very broadly. And so, for example, mobile device IDs, that many mobile apps collect are personal data. Website cookies are personal data. And so you're really looking at all IP addresses online are personal data. So you're really looking at everything that a modern company does right now. And you have to have a critical, critically, you have to have a good understanding of, well, first of all, what personal data you collect, where you store it, how you can, for example, give users those rights that the GDPR gives. So for example, practical example from a uh, talk with a client a couple of days ago, uh, they collect a lot of data online and uh, and 
do website tracking and all that uh, that any any company basically does these days and imagine when a consumer comes to you and says i want to know what personal data you hold about me <laughs> and so you have to first you have to understand what is personal data but then where you store it you can store it in like cloud services your own servers everywhere and then what if the consumer then asks i want you to delete all the personal data that you have about me and the calculation was that if it was done in the current system one such request would cost anywhere from 1500 to 2000 dollars per request so that means that companies have to overhaul their systems reorganize their databases in order to really comply with the gdpr so it's a huge effort and it's not just a legal effort it's it's also in a in a, in a large part it's a technical effort and, and just to make things a little bit more fun a little bit of time pressure as well when does this uh, regulation go into effect may 25 of this year yes <laughs> okay so this is why we've been getting this flurry of updates from all of the service you know so we have a web service provider we have uh, salesforce uh, i'm just talking yes. about uh the uh, williot the company that the, that i work for and yeah. uh, you know we don't even have our product out yet and yet uh, we have three major systems that we we use salesforce marketing website yeah. hosting that are all impacted by this goodness knows what it's like for other companies. But, you know, we're in the States and um, um, I occasionally go to Europe. Does this affect Does this affect companies like ours who are based in the States? Well, it depends. <laughs> Everything is about how, how your company does business. So, for example, if you, if you have your European consumers, customers of your business, you're clearly impacted. But... If, for example, you're providing services to a U.S. company and in connection with those services, you have access to their EU customer data or EU employee data, you're impacted. And what your customers will have to do is to make sure that all those vendors that they use, including, for example, your company, if you were such a vendor, they have to make sure that those vendors are in compliance. So, for example, vendors can subcontract the processing without authorization. Uh, vendors have to have proper data security systems in place. Vendors have to notify about data breaches. Uh, all that. So it, it is really, I mean, you know, Johnny come lately, lately are always, uh, 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 you know, there. But uh, but really, given that we have a month, especially if you're in the consumer space and you're with your products and services, you you really gotta get get working on this. So what if uh, we're a business, and we're going to get on to beacons later, but this is just kind of the basics of any business. It seems like every business has an online website uh, at the moment, and um, it's not realistic to say, well, we're only offering this website to people in the U.S. You're going to get people from Europe registering. So if, yeah. I, if I have a web service that does uh, some kind of location-based service. Mm -hmm. It uses GPS, so uh, mm -hmm. doesn't have have beacons. And some of those people are in Europe. Then, uh, does it affect my business? Uh, a good question. And and some of these uh, judgment calls are uh, a little bit challenging to make right now, since so we don't have a single enforcement case yet, um, because the statute enters into force on May 25. But if you're not 
for example, actively promoting your mobile service, uh, for example, offering it through European app stores or, or your website, you're, you're not marketing to European consumers, it's highly unlikely that you'd be a focus of any kind of enforcement activity. Uh, so if you're just offering your service to US consumers, um, also specifying in your terms of service that you're really just offering this service to US residents um, over the age of 12, well, you're probably not going to be an obvious target for any kind of enforcement activity if you don't comply. Okay. But yeah. if you have, uh, but if you're basically selling, uh, selling to the European market, or you have going through channel partners that do, then they kind of get you through this uh, this web. Even so, so, one of my questions is, okay, yeah. I'm over here. You happen to be in Europe at the moment. You're you're based in New York. You're you're in Finland. Um, yeah. You know how. One of my questions was going to be, how can the EU touch me when I'm in the United States of America? But I think part of your answer to that question is because I have to deal with European countries and they're under obligation for me to conform to the rules. Have I, have I got that right? Is that the... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, GDP, uh, the, the, the language of the regulation talks about offering goods or services or having an establishment in the European Union. So even if, and that, that means a, a, basically a company in layman's terms. If you have, for example, a subsidiary in Europe, you're clearly covered. But if, even if you don't have a subsidiary covered uh, in Europe, then you'd still be covered if you have offer goods or services to Europeans. Um, but how it really passes through the entities that are not impacted by those two major factors is that if you are a service provider to company that must comply, then you also must comply. And and this is one of, this is one of the sort of the ideologies behind this regulation that Europe wants to make its privacy standards global. And in some ways it is doing it because right now US companies that never thought of having to comply with European privacy rules are suddenly facing these questions from their customers or their vendors of what are you you know what are, what are you going to do <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little bit like the Californian emissions car emissions regulations it's like mm -hmm. if you're going to sell a car in California then you need to meet our regulations well that yeah. basically means they raise the bar for, for pollution standards to kind of the whole of the United States yeah. because every yeah. car company wants to sell exactly. yeah. To, yeah. To, to, uh, to California. But I mean, like, like a U.S. domestic example uh, of this could be on the data side, for example, that Massachusetts was one of the, the first states to impose strict data security requirements on, on all companies that pro process PII of, of the residents of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Unless you completely want to build a fence around the state of Massachusetts, you'd basically build your data security program around the strict requirements of, of Massachusetts instead of doing a piecemeal state-by-state -state approach, because that's the easiest way to comply, right? All right. So I see a lot more of those annoying notices popping up saying, hey, did you know we collect cookies? No. Really? You collect cookies? It's like every website collects cookies, yeah. uh, unless yeah. someone's coded it in HTML and uh, it's a it's a high yeah. school project. So um, let's get into what this means. So it's it's very broad. Um, 
It has some real teeth. It's happening now. Uh, what needs to get done in order to conform to these regulations? I think there's some kind of terminology um, that uh, that we need to get to. And actually, just m- maybe a more manageable way of coming at this is how does this change from what the EU had in place before? Because from reading the chapter in the book mm-hmm. and, and, and listening to episode 15 where you described it, yeah. I felt like the bar was pretty high in Europe already. Yeah. How has yeah. it changed? Well, yeah, uh, you're right. So there's been laws around us in the books in Europe since the mid-90s, basically. So we're looking at something that's been in place for 30 years. The GDPR adds new elements, things like you know what we've heard about, right to be forgotten and and um, uh, some other elements, but really it's building on an existing legacy statute. It was called the European Union Data Protection Directive. It's been enforced in 1996. But what it introduces <coughs> is more stick. <laughs> so All right. Okay. It has, it has these potentially gigantic fines um, for non-compliance. So you're potentially looking at fines of... Um, Four percent of the company's global revenue, by the way, not not profit revenue, or twenty million, whichever is higher. Um, and so, uh, you know, for globally op- operating companies with billions in revenue, that could be a lot of money. Um, and and oh so, God. companies now have a real financial incentive to to comply. And for example, things like you know. Um, what the U.S. had first and Europe did not is now a data breach notification requirement. And now Europe will also have a data breach notification requirement. And the time timelines are fairly strict. 72 hours from after, having, after the company becomes aware of a data breach, the company has to notify the privacy regulator uh, in Europe, and um, when you think about it, that's that's fast. But then you also think about it from a perspective of what is covered by data breach. So the U.S. data breach laws typically only deal with from social security numbers and credit card numbers and, and driver's license numbers, things that again obvious direct identifiers. This covers all personal data, and as we understood. As we talked about earlier, um, it's understood very broadly. So, losing, for example, a bunch of device IDs from an app uh, app server uh, prompts a requirement to notify the regulator, and in some cases, also the consumers. Gosh, so so what does it do as far as where d- data needs to be located? Um, uh, kind of, I have in my mind if you if you're tracking the data about European citizens, the data needs to be in Europe. But is that mm-hmm. really something that has to be? No, it did. No, the, the the European Union doesn't have so-called data localization laws in the sense that you would have to keep data in in Europe. You can move data freely to countries that the EU considers as providing adequate privacy protection. Okay. Unfortunately, the U.S. is not one of those countries. Uh, okay. Europeans don't think that at this point uh, U.S. laws provide adequate privacy protection. But 
and we have an arrangement where U.S. company can self-certify with the Department of Commerce for the Privacy Shield. You've probably heard of Privacy Shield. And, uh, um, and that is a legal way of moving data from Europe to the U.S. Uh, so uh, the U EU doesn't require you to keep the data in Europe. You can move it, but you have to have a compliance mechanism like the Privacy Shield in, in place in order to do that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And remind us what the Privacy Shield is. It is, a, it is basically an agreement between the U.S. government and the European Commission that as long as a company tells that it complies with so-called privacy shield principles uh, relating to personal data and self-certifies their compliance once a year with the Department of Commerce, um, then they can freely move their customer and employee data uh, to the U.S. So um, tell us uh, a little bit more about the things the U.S. Uh, companies are having to do, the changes that they're having to uh, may uh, to make uh, you've already touched on on a few of them um, one was the right to be forgotten um, mm -hmm. wh what else uh, what are the other changes that you're seeing people putting into place yeah yeah so um, again uh, everything with the GDP has to do with what the company does in practice so there's no one-size-fits-all solution because right. you have to look at the, the types of data that the company collects, uh, who it's sharing the data with, where it stores it, what the core business of the company is. So, for example, there's been a lot of talk about this thing called privacy impact assessments. Privacy impact assessments are a GDPR requirement uh, uh, for when a company plans a a new product or service that processes personal data and that change or new product potentially has an impact on user privacy. For example, this is a big thing for companies, for example, that track people online or, or, or location-based businesses because potentially the changes or new products that they create will have a huge impact on user privacy mm -hmm. because, again, up for obvious reasons. And so they have to do what is called a privacy impact assessment when they make these changes and before they make those changes. So they got to actually document and assess, well, first, what types of impact on user privacy the change or the new product will have. 
but then also um, minimize the privacy impact by tweaking the product so that it is a minimal privacy impact. And for example, healthcare, uh, companies in healthcare or health technology, uh, they process what the GDPR calls sensitive or special categories of data. Health information, obviously very sensitive. And so they have to appoint a data protection officer to the company and also companies such as online tracking uh, ad tech companies have to appoint a data protection officers because, officer because they do, again, monitor the, the online activities of, of users on a large scale. Initially, almost every company in the first draft of the GDPR, almost all companies would have had to appoint a data protection officer. But during the last stages of, of, of fever lobbying activity, uh, they limited it to those types of companies that either engage in monitoring of people on a large scale or process sensitive personal data on a large scale. Okay. So what about size of company? If you're a startup, you're, you're a 10-person beacon yeah. startup. Yeah. I mean, that potentially is very personal information about uh, yeah. where people are spending time. Does that mean yeah. you need to appoint a, a data privacy officer? Uh, again, the, the 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 challenge is because it's using the the language large scale. Okay. So when, when do you reach that scale is still a little bit unclear. Got it. But if you're tracking locations, you know, of of, of individuals, and um, it, it's relatively, you can confidently, almost very confidently state that you're doing it on a large scale if you're for example tracking a number of apps or 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 or, or locations but um i don't want to you know terrorize everyone listening to this podcast but there's also Too this late. thing called <laughs> <laughs> the e-privacy regulation coming down uh the pike oh there is <laughs> yeah there is okay tell us about uh, that yeah <laughs> uh, the e-privacy regulation um where uh, the GDPR is sort of a general statute relating to all things personal data. E-privacy regulation regulates um, uh, uh, mobile communications. So the thinking that the Europeans had behind this e-privacy regulation is that they want to bring, you know, back when now there's this thing called e-privacy directive, which basically just regulated telcos and then Europeans thought that it doesn't make sense anymore to have only telcos here because everyone is providing communication services now, all these apps where you can talk and, and, and message and all that. So they want to bring those under the same kind of regulatory umbrella as telcos. Mm -hmm. So that regulation has a lot of, for example, relevant to beacons. So, so for example, first of all, it requires opt-in consent for, for location-based tracking mm -hmm. of basically all types, including beacon technology. Mm -hmm. But then it has, because uh, the text hasn't been finalized yet, there's a draft. And again, like with GDPR, there's a lot of lobbying activity going on right now in Brussels. Mm -hmm. For example, the drafts language says that any location where user communications are tracked, whether it's beacon technology or Wi-Fi, or it would actually <laughs> need to be things like warning signs that people actually are aware of that tracking going on. Okay. 
Well, it's, it's funny. So I don't want to turn this into a massive advert for our book, but, but but that's something that we do suggest in our kind of beacon deployment guide is think about that same way as you have warning signs if there's surveillance cameras and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Not unreasonable, actually, in my yeah. opinion. But Yeah, but so, so everyone in this uh, kind of business area should also keep an eye on that e-privacy regulation because it will have an impact on, on, on all companies that rely on location-based services. Very good. So any other Beacon-related uh, uh, pieces that you've come across? Because as, as a, a lawyer, I think uh, I don't know anyone who spent uh, – I mean, you've spent uh, a lot of time looking at this. You work with some of the guys that are building Beacon networks um, and using uh, – GPS and so forth yeah. to to, yeah. to create new models, uh, yeah. new business models. So, any other things that we could be thinking about with relate to these regulations and uh, and beacons and location services? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the because beacons in and of themselves, as we know, they don't really collect any type of data, but but the mobile device that interacts with those devices collects a lot of data. And uh, companies that are providing support services, technology support services, for example, mobile apps and 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 and, and, and other technologies uh, that rely on beacons or other, you know, um, local support networks, they uh, they're in a little bit of a tough position right now because one of the GDPR main what they call legal basis for processing is of personal data is consent, right? And if you're there in the background, uh, the, then in order to get that consent, you gotta rely on on those publishers, apps or websites, uh, or um, to collect the consent on your behalf. Potentially, we're gonna see, uh, you know, um, again more of those pop-up screens with disclosures about who they're sharing data with and all that. So it mm-hmm. will be um, uh, those support type vendors are going to be put in a spotlight much more than they have been in the past up so, until now. So if I'm a, a, a beacon startup, I'm creating this three-sided network. I'm bringing together venues that have beacons and uh, people that are developing apps and brands that uh, want to engage with people who are in certain places at certain mm-hmm. times doing certain things. Uh, I, as you say, I'm working through third parties who who have apps, and mm-hmm. I need to make sure that they're getting consent. Do yeah. I? Uh, is it enough that I just have a contractual relationship with them, or do I need to uh, actually have a a record of the fact that someone has actually specifically opted in? Can I just? put it on the app vendor and have it in my contract and say, hey, I, I insisted they did that. And if they didn't do it, then it's not my fault. Well, first of all, the first party that collects the consent actually needs to maintain a record of it. Okay. And then they need to pass it on to you if you rely on it. And then on the other hand, when there's someone then withdraws their consent, since no more of this data collection business for me, then they also have to communicate that withdrawal of consent. Uh, of course, the right to be forgotten. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, so, so then that means that well, on the one hand, 
you know, you have to have a contractual language in place with your publisher partner. But then there also needs to be, again, like, because the whole GDPR is really just also a technical effort um, alongside the legal efforts that you um, then build a technical feature into the platform that enables almost automated connection communications. Fantastic. Well, that's not fantastic. It's, it's, it's daunting. But, uh, you yeah. know, I, I, last question is, do you think the net of this is going to be helpful or a, a hindrance to the kind of businesses that we're talking about? It's a huge amount of work, isn't it? It is a lot of work and, 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 and um, lawyers are busy, but I think engineers are busier uh, in some ways um, trying to come up with uh, technical solutions to enable this compliance. But there are arguments, and I think many of those arguments are valid that, you know, when companies, they have to clean house as a part of this process and, for example, identify where they store personal data, what they do with it, all that stuff that's been kind of going on for a long time without anyone really checking into what the company is doing. It's good. Well, first of all, you know, like when you get consented data, it's good data. Uh, you can build better data products based on it. Um, and then this cleaning house also means that, you know, you have updated current data and you don't have people in your database that, uh, that are, um, uh, that are, don't want to be there. And so really, I think in the longer term, this will enable business opportunities that, that were not there before. Um, and I, and I, and I think that overall, that's a good thing. I, I agree. I think you've got to take the high road. What we're doing is pretty awesome, um, but with awesomeness comes uh, responsibility. And we've seen with the Zuckerberg situation, it, it's such a distraction when you don't manage it correctly. And arguably, they, they actually did quite a lot of good things in terms of offering these options. But communicating clearly uh, yeah. what is a key part of it as well. Correct. That's true. Well, Yano, thanks so much. You guys, I know you're super busy given the timetable that we talked about. Um, so, um, uh, Yano Vanto of uh, Pulsinelli, uh, thank you so much for you're walking us welcome. through this. Thank you so much. All right, you have a good rest of the week. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. So you get three extra songs. Uh, last time it was... Uh, Pink Floyd and Guns N' Roses and uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the you know the one good thing about other than the fact we get more of your time uh, on this show you're, you're back you get three more songs so it's, it's six songs to on, on your trip to Mars do, do you have any thoughts on what those other three would be well I, actually it's funny I was in a train earlier today and I was listening to the first ever uh, a pop song made with a synthesizer called Popcorn Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I hadn't heard that song in a long time, so I was like, this is a good one. I haven't heard this in like 15 years. But so that's definitely one of the songs. So does it bring back memories, Popcorn? Is there a time when you yeah, first heard yeah, it? Yeah, yes, it does. It does. We had, when I was in high school, I was a DJ in school dances, and it's uh, one of the songs I played. So that's <laughs> fantastic. That was definitely a good memory there, yeah. Yeah, the DJ was an exalted 
position at, at that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think it still is. But, you know, you're a yeah. teenager and solve so <laughs> many problems. You don't have to think about what to talk to people about. You just kind of sort of at the center of the attention and uh, you're yeah. in control. So popcorn's sure. one. Any others? Um, Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh, another classic. <laughs> <laughs> and your third? Um, this one needs a second. I think... Uh, um, oh yeah, um, off the more recent vintage, Khalid, um, y y Young, uh, Dumb, and what's the name of the title of that song? I just loved it because I, I was listening to it on repeat. Young, Dumb, and Broke, I think is the song. Okay. This artist called Khalid. Okay, yeah. I don't know that one. I'll, I'll check that, that out. But I remember listening yeah. to Popcorn on a school trip to, to France uh, when I was a kid. So... Uh, it brings back memories for me as well. Very good. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 